Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of Feather and Fur, your host, Brad Hurlbus. And today we are welcoming back Anthony for a little update as he's kind of changed, not pace, but direct, not even direction, location. We'll just say location on his guiding and dog training. So I'm curious to hear the difference between where he was in Minnesota and chasing snow grease around the Midwest. And now that he's down in the South, down in the South training dogs. So welcome back. Good to be back. Thanks for having me, Brad. I'm excited for this one because it's not very often I get to talk to someone that's from the mid, like, well, you've been all over. Like you started in, you started out West in the Seattle right. area. Then you started guiding in the Midwest out of Minnesota for waterfowl. And then you did the whole snow goose thing. Right. So I'm right. curious to know, like now the difference, now that you've been down South for a little over a year, right? Yes. Yeah. Just about, just about. Here's so the difference like with how it is. I mean, like curious to know what you're chasing for game, if it's ducks, quail farm, like what you got going on down there and like the dog training differences, because I'm sure by region, it's probably a little different. Very much different. Yeah. So where I work right now is uh, I work at, um, you know, a, a five star uh, lodge similar to like a an Orvis endorsed operation, um, if you're familiar with that. But it's a pretty high scale lodge. I mean, we do everything from, you know, webbing events to hunting, to fishing. I mean, it's a year-round, year-round deal. Um, you know, we start our guy season in September with doves. We do a couple big dove shoots for some larger uh, corporate groups. Work our way into deer season. Uh, go through deer season. Um, we have some some duck hunts on the property. Um, rolling to quail. Uh, we do quail season for a couple months as well, and that's that's pretty hot and heavy. And it's preserved, mind you, not 
not wild quail. Um, and then after that, we get right into turkey hunting. So, you know, we're hunting from September to, to about April. I mean, it's a pretty long season. And then after that, you know, a um, couple months of bass fishing and, and moving right back into hunting season. So um, we stay, we stay busy for sure. That's awesome. It's it's fun that the it's fun that the lodge you work for is able to do offer so much because it, it keeps it interesting. It's not the same. It's a grind, I'm sure, because guiding is a grind and dog training right. can be a grind, but it's not the same grind every day. Well, it might be for a few for a month, then it's a different grind and a different grind. At least it stays interesting. Right. And too, you know, I mean, while we may be focused on on maybe deer hunts, you know, um, in November when the deer season opens up. Um, I can still, if I have an off day, I can still jump out and go duck hunt, you know, on the public river down here or, um, you know, go jump in on a quail hunt or something like that. So you can still mix it up, even though we may be just booked out for six weeks of deer hunting or something like that. So sure. That makes sense. So I want to talk, like I've never had someone on from the South for doves and I've heard it's its whole little tradition experience and like opening a like dove, like opening day for dove is like an experience. Very, very much so. So I actually got my first taste of uh, of dove hunting and the traditional dove hunting when I lived in Texas. I, you know, I spent two years down in Texas, my junior, senior year of high school. Um, and I mean, people were missing school for opening day. And, um, you know, it's just it's just a whole different ball game. Um, it's a really social gathering. So on opening day, at least down here in Alabama, where I'm at now, um, you can't hunt until 2 p.m. And so we got there, you know, we got to the, the morning shoot, you know, at 11, we got a big barbecue cookout going, uh, you know, people are all talking and, and hanging out and, um, you know, getting ready. And, um, you know, then you start to get your station around two. still, you know, in September, it's still so hot down here. Doves aren't flying till, you know, probably closer to four o'clock. Um, so, you know, you kind of spread out and, um, you know, we have, they shoot some big numbers down here. That's for sure. But, you know, you may have a shoot of 35, 40 people, you know, sure. you know, an area. So, um, it's definitely more of a social gathering. It's a ton of fun. Um, you know, it's a good time to, um, you know, knock the, you know, knock the rust off the gun and shoot and, you know, get humbled. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> things are hard to hit, but, uh, you know, good time to get the dog out and work. I mean, you gotta be careful cause it's so hot, you know, right. but, um, good time, you know, get the dog back in the game and, you know, um, start working again. So it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. That's for sure. And, and I love eating it, that too. And, and I've heard that it's an extremely social event beforehand that mm -hmm. you get like those big cookouts and it seems, and from what like I've heard from like little rumors and other like little conversations I have, it seems like it's a lot of traditions. Like it seems like it's a lot of the same people year and year again that get together and have these big cookouts and like, for that opening day. Right. Yeah. You are, you normally see like your big family event where you'll have your whole extended family come out and do a shoot like that. And then your family and friends, and it's usually the same people, you know, from the farm across the road or what have you. And, um, you know, but they're so, you know, so welcoming. Like I don't know anybody really down here, but I got invited out to a shoot through, you know, some coworkers and, and got hooked up that way. And I mean, they were, you know, more than happy to have me go out and, um, you know, it, it's just a lot of fun, a lot of fun. One of my favorite, favorite types of hunting that's for sure and that's that in itself is just a unique experience right i mean because you look at like the different types of hunting a lot of stuff even like a lot of it isn't social like you have big right. opening day deer hunting traditions but no one like unless you have a kid with you or something like that you mainly hunt by yourself like afterwards it's always the social event like when the sun goes down the hunt's over everybody gets together for dinner so 
it's sure. it's kind of unique in itself that everybody hangs out beforehand and that anticipation just has to just has to be completely ex- like it's got to be almost like electrifying oh oh it is for sure um and it's really fun you know to kind of see you know the the older generation out there i'm talking like you know like my grandparents generation or what have you they're out there and they may not even be shooting but they're just out there uh to have a good time and talk to everybody and serve food and um you know you know watch a football game it's, it's really fun um to kind of see that and see everyone you know mess around you'll see maybe four generations of, of family out there you know all together and it's different you know from i think what we're used to a little bit when um our my social aspect of hunting was when i was uh trying you know say get permission on a field or something you know you bump into people and it could go 50 50 you know they could either get angry with you that you, you know you beat them to a fee or maybe you join with them but you know, uh, you go out and there's 40 people just happy to see you and they're partying and all of a sudden, you know, let's go, you know, shoot some doves. It's, it's, it's different, but it's a lot of fun. It sounds like it. It sounds like it'd be a fun experience. I'll have to try to get down somewhere one of these days and check that out just to see like, just how crazy it is to begin with. <laughs> like, it just like, I just picture like people showing off shotguns. Like they got a new shotgun this year and, and dogs running around. And I'm sure you got puppies that are like, just like, just past getting gun broke. And they're super right. excited for their dog to get out there. And then you got the old dogs that are laying in the shade. Like, do I really got to do this in the heat? And just, you get all right. of that mixed in. Right. Right. And mix in with a lot of kids on their first hunts too. You right. Know, a lot of six, seven year old kids running around and it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's cool to see it. And, um, and be part of it and um you know if you get lucky enough to get on a good shoot as well like i've probably been on my best dove shoot that i've ever been on it was on opening day this year and uh it was pretty phenomenal like i was a poor shooter very poor shooter but uh you know still able to get my limit in 30 minutes like it was pretty i mean it was just non-stop wave after wave and when it gets like that it's um it's just a great all-around experience I know we have doves and I've done hunted in Wisconsin, but I've never experienced like the wave after wave it's like that. Like from the videos I've seen of down South, it looks just like their numbers are far superior to what we have. And I don't know. I think so. In Minnesota. Right. Yeah. I think, I think the resident population is a lot higher. And from my experience, when I would dove hunt out in Wisconsin or Minnesota, uh, you know, we would, you might be able to get a good, you know, shoot with a couple guys, you know, um, first weekend, and then usually by that time, you know, we drop into the fifties and, you know, in the mornings and, and they push down. So I think, um, you know, we're, they're getting resident, they're good. They have good resident populations and then they get a good push on migrators and um, it, it turns into just, you know, and, and they hold birds, you know, you, you sure. can shoot birds in November, you know, just because the temperature changes. So um, yeah, it, it's definitely a lot better down here. That That's awesome. That's just, just one more thing, right? Like one more experience to have. Mm-hmm. There's so many different things you can do with hunting and, and you kind of touch base on this. So not to really change subjects, but running dogs in the heat, it's hard that time of year. I mean, conditioning goes a long way. Like just like, not only that, but working dogs in hotter weather, weather slowly. So you can start to recognize those signs. Like, like I used to run my lab all summer long in Wisconsin, unless it was crazy hot, but we were running the mid eighties and the nineties, but we do short times and you could, and you learn to be able to watch your dogs. So when season came around, like you were so far ahead of the game when it came to heat exhausting, cause you could just recognize like those factors when they were coming and the dog was conditioned and everything else. So I'm curious mm-hmm. to know, like we've had these hot temperatures, we touch base quick on that. 
Like how did like with training dogs down at that kennel, what do you guys do when it gets crazy hot in the summer to keep these dogs conditioned? Yeah. For that, those September hunts and for those dove humps come September. Right. Um, so, I mean, the first thing we do um, is, you know, we try to work, you know, during a certain period. So, um, you know, we don't work really at all in the middle of the day. Um, you know, so we either get there super early in the morning or, you know, rag at dusk and we're, and we're trying to work dogs, especially on, you know, when I say big dogs, I mean like either transition level or, or just more advanced gun dogs that are running marks or running blinds or, you know, doing some sort of field work. And now, you know, we have obedience work and that can be done. You can pick a shaky spot and, you know, do some leash work and, you know, sit heel and all that kind of stuff. Um, but as far as the big dogs, yeah, you got to get there early in the morning or late and work. Um, you know, we still try to be careful. So, you know, a lot of people are like, well, just get your dog wet and they'll be fine. Well, a lot of times, especially if they're in shallow water, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, if they're in shallow water, that water can be just as hot on the top, if not right. hotter, you know, than the air temperature. And it can be pretty darn dangerous for a dog to be getting in and out um, and, you know, pushing through either lunging water or swimming through shallow water. Um, so you got to be really careful on that. You, you know, kind of look at the water temp, look at all that. And um, another thing we do, so we have, we have two facilities, but one of the facilities is, is temperature control. We have fans in the other, but one of them has, you know, air conditioning, heat and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, we try to make sure that the dogs spend a gradual amount of time outside in the airing yard before and after. So you don't want to take the dog strictly, you know, or directly from 70 degrees, start running them hard and put them back up in the cold. I mean, you know, sure. we kind of do the same thing. If you go out, you know, hard for running and come back in at 60 degrees, you know, it, your body doesn't, you know, change while well they're wearing a fur coat. So um, trying to transition that, you know, and condition them just by leaving them outside in an airing yard, you know, of course, shade, you know, and they have got water and all that, but just getting them used to being outside, you know, I see a lot of dogs come off the couch, you know, um, I mean, conditioning is one thing, you know, they need to be, you know, ran and swam and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, they come off the couch from the, you know, being in the AC and just sitting there, they get almost heat exhaust, you know, heat exhaust. Sure. You got to be, you know, careful on that. So that's one thing we try to do. Um, just give them a little time before and after. Um, one thing I try to do with the big dogs, for example, is uh, so a lot of guys will throw their marks. So say we're running a triple or something um, or even we're just running a bunch of singles. A lot of guys will throw their marks and then throw it, uh, their watermark last. So the dog gets wet at the end and cools off. Well, um, I learned actually from a different podcast, Lone Duck podcast, Gun Dog Trainer. Um, it's basically, we'll all run a watermark first. So then when the dog gets out and he's running and he or she's running the landmark, um, they get the cooling effect. So, you know, if you got sure. a bunch of sweat on you and you're, you know, driving a four wheeler, for example, that, that air will cool you. Uh, cool you off. So same concept for the dog. So I'll try to, you know, throw a watermark and then run the landmarks. Um, you know, just little things like that to try to, you know, make sure they're, you know, staying safe and staying cool and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they still have to be, you know, you still got to run them. You still got to swim them and, um, and, you know, in those short periods and, and build them up to that point. Right. Right. I mean, and that's all, it, to me, that's always been all part of conditioning throughout the summer. It's, it's making, it's getting them used to all the, the warmer temperatures for, of, of the beginning of fall. It's making sure that they stay in shape. It, to me, I've always kind of included that as like one whole conditioning aspect, but sure. 
Yeah. Heat exhaustion, it's, it's, it's something that you have to be con- very concerned about. All dog owners should be. And if you're not conditioning your dogs in this warmer temperatures and keeping them in fitness leveled shape throughout right. the summer, you can't just grab a dog. And I've seen this before. You get a really hot October in the 70s, pheasant opener, and mm-hmm. and the, the family dog that hunts for a month every year and otherwise just sits on the couch and gets potato chips from the kids right. can't tolerate that heat. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Right. Yeah, and especially, too, with, you know, the upwing. So when we're working with pointing dogs, you know, you got to be really careful with that, that grass. Um, you know, if you walk through a, you know, a prairie field, I mean, you can feel the humidity come off the grass. Um, and that's another thing is, you know, they're working extra hard and you know, you gotta be, you just gotta be really careful um, with them running through that. I mean, it's one thing if a dog's sitting next to you on a bucket in the shade, you know, waiting on doves to fly, but it's another right. thing when you're, you know, you're pushing them hard on them. Like you said, a, a hot October. I mean, that's, it's, it can get dangerous quick. And if you don't recognize the signs, I mean, um, I mean, they, I've seen, I've seen them get heat stroke before. I mean, they can lock up in a second. And, um, you know, you, and you got to be prepared for it too. I mean, if you're two miles from the truck, I mean, no watering site, you know, that's, that's a, that's scary, you know, scary. Right. Guys. Right. So what do you, so what do you do for preparation? Like, what do you, do you, what do you keep on you for like the first signs of heat stroke? Like I don't like for me, I normally would like, this is kind of old school, but I'd keep a peanut butter and honey sandwich on my, or honey on me because honey on the gums is a huge thing. Like get yep. that sugar into them and then you can get water into them. Yep. Like, I carry I, I carry honey as well. Um, I like to use it too. Um, and, I mean, granted down here, it doesn't get really that cold, you know, comparatively. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, when I was back up north, I had to put it on one of my dogs once. I remember, you know, chasing, you know, a, a duck in frozen lake and got cold, a little honey on his gums and kind of give him a little sugar. So... I'll do that. Um, I think the big thing is just being conscious enough to not put them in a position to really get there. I mean, if I see the signs, I'm like, all right, he's going back up in the trailer. I'm going to let him down, you know, put some water in his ears, on his chest or whatever. And, you know, um, you know, put him up and, um, you know, at, you know, when we uh, upland hunt too, we have uh, big troughs that we you know, have a water, we have ponds and lakes all nearby. So, you know, if I do a lap up the field, and then I'll move down and, and, and get the dog in the water and get him running again. Um, another thing kind of back to the whole dog training in the heat as well is uh, um, I won't put a dog up that's if it's hot out, if it's humid out, I won't put a dog up that's just out of the water and wet. 
you know, I'll, sure. I'll put them on a stakeout, I'll put them on a tie-out. I think a lot of people, um, you know, assume they're wet and they're, they're going to cool off. Well, you, you put them in a confined space, no air circulation, it can get humid in there pretty quick, right. you know, and it can, um, I mean, that can give them heat exhaustion in itself. So, um, Big you know, song. If, you, if I mean, you're doing you a bunch of water song. work, right, <laughs> stake your dog out and, and let it dry off a little bit, let it kind of air out and, and then put it up. I mean, it doesn't have to be dry, but, you know, right. um, I wouldn't put a soaking dog, a soaking wet dog, you know, up in a kennel or a trailer. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I mean, give them a little shade, stake them out, give them some water, let them lay down, right. cool off or temperature regulate, slowly cool down. And yeah, because I mean, you put a, you put a, like you said, I mean, it, the humidity will rise. I mean, even if you have a fan in that box, it's still hard because I, I don't know about how big your boxes are, but all the boxes for my dog, if they basically have enough room to turn around and lay down. I don't, I don't yep. have giant boxes for my dog. So yeah. Even if even if they can uncomfortably stand in there with a fan, it's still hard to get enough air circulation in there to actually get them to really dry. Right. You know, like it's the same same way here. So yeah, we have you know the cable gang tie out, and we'll we'll stake them out, or um, you know we got tie outs that are welded onto the trailer. We'll just you know hook them up real quick or something like that, and just just leave them out for a second, let them catch the breath. You know, it goes back to like we leave a dog in the air yard after a session to kind of recuperate. You know, and uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it's pretty darn important to do that. Yeah, the heat changes everything. I mean, cold water safety, I mean, cold water safety is one thing, but like that's ice. That's, I mean, those, I feel like it's far easier to recognize the cold water dangers than it is to see how fast heat exhaustion can come up on a dog, unless if you know how to truly read your dog and you are working in these kind of conditions. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think too, you know, I mean, when we're running, say we got black lab, I have a black lab. She's got a really thick coat. I think, you know, they're, I mean, they're just built better for swimming in cold water. I mean, that's what they're made for, so, you know, picking up dogs right. in, in cold water. And um, I don't know if they're necessarily made for running 85 degree heat in a quail field. Like, that's a, you know, different, different ball games. So you really just, you know, watch them, be careful. And, um, you know, if they're hassling too hard, if they're paying too hard, you know, put them up. And, you know, like, too, I tell the clients that I'm, when I'm quail hunting, if the dog's panting that hard, and they're breathing in and out of their mouth, they're not intaking anything in their nose. They can't smell anything. So unless they run across a bird and bump it, you know, step on top of it and bump it, they're really not going to go point a bird or flush a bird. So right. they might as well just go up, you know. Um, so there's no sense in pushing, you know. I agree. I mean, if the dog's not using its nose, I mean, if it's if it's sucking all of its air through its mouth, it can't use its nose. I mean, right. I've seen that before in warm weather with grouse. And I'm not even talking super warm. I'm talking this last grouse years in the 70s. And towards the end of like the morning hunt, I mean, the dogs, I mean, they were starting to pant. They got some heat in them. And you could just see they would either they, like our we weren't finding birds as much or they were bumping birds because they just weren't using their noses anymore. Right. Right. And yeah, so I, I mean, at that point, no sense in keeping them out, pushing them harder, just put them up, let them recuperate, you know, and, and then get back after it once they can, you know, recover. Right. So that takes, so we're training through the heat, you get quails, you get dove season first. So you touched on deer. So what do you, what are you guiding for deer then like taking clients back and forth to the stands? Do you guys use tracking dogs? Do you like, do you train for that at all? Yeah. So, um, so part of this property that I have is a, uh, they, they high fence a certain part and they have some exotics down here. And then um, we got shoot, I think close to 6,000 acres of, of free range hunting. A lot of that is 
wouldn't say it's as much as guiding, um, as much as it's a lot of prep work, you know, putting up scams, okay. um, cutting limbs, doing all that kind of stuff, building shoot houses and, and um, working on that kind of stuff, plant green fields. Uh, and then, yes, we will drive them, you know, back sure. and forth from the scan. Obviously, you know, we recover the gear, skin the gear, core the gear, all that kind of stuff. Um, we uh, have kind of messed around a little bit with tracking dogs. Um, we don't train them. Um, okay. So, yeah, we don't really mess around with that at all. We had one come in and it didn't necessarily work out because we already have, we basically have another guy on contract, like on retainer, and he comes out every time if we're missing a gear. He's got two, um, I want to say they're curves of some sort, like a blackmouth curve or something like that. Um, They're tracking, and they're, I mean, killers. Like they're pretty incredible. I mean, I'm talking these dogs track gear 13 miles through the the rain and, and still pick up a, a wounded gear it's pretty incredible to, to see um you know off a cold eight hour cold track like i mean they're it's pretty silly um so we call you know that man out he's got his two dogs and that's pretty much who we use um, sure i think you know he's came out maybe seven eight times maybe more than that but probably around seven eight times over the year and uh and picked up some gear so um but otherwise you know and that's usually during our bow season our a rifle season, they usually kill them within a couple hundred or die within right. a couple hundred yards, and we can go track them ourselves. Sure, so. sure, that makes sense. I just wasn't sure how encompassed like your kennel, like because you offer so much. Are you also training tracking dogs? I just wasn't sure. Like, no, no, yeah, we on- we focus. We're we're pretty much a mainly you know we focus on 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 Labradors, um, okay, and and kind of focus on on duck dogs. Really, we mess around a little bit with pointers. You know, we do some upland work with some flushing dogs. Um, you know, of course, you got, we're in the south, so we got boy kings and all that. Um, and, you know, different breeds. We do large brigo obedience as well. So, um, you know, we'll have your golden googles, you know, and all that sure. kind of stuff, and your house pets, and you know, work on all the obedience and all that. But um, yeah, mainly, I mean, we're we're focusing on gut dogs. Got it. Got it. And then you, I know you said you have a duck season, obviously. So are you hunting ducks? Are you hunting public for ducks? Are you hunting private down there? No. So at the lodge, it's actually, um, they're considered flight condition, um, duck hunts. So we basically get a certain amount of mallards and it's almost like a, um, almost like a tower shoot in a way where we get ducks to fly over really. Um, so we, you know, we call them flight condition duck hunts. They're phenomenal for the dogs though. I mean, just, just great. I mean, because you can't replicate it any better. We have a pit line, you know, ducks are coming at you. We're calling at, you know, they're circling, coming in your decoys. Um, I mean, it's just great. We, we take we take a trailer full of young dogs out there, you know, just through, you know, once we get them through force faction, picking up some marks, we'll take them out there and you'll see them come alive, picking up, you know, ducks. They'll see their first crippled duck, you know, kind of stuff like that. Um, and, you know, it's really nice. It's, it, it's a duck pond, but it's built like a tech pond in a way. So we have a, a pit line in a point like that. So, they get used to, you know, doing land water, land retrieves and stuff like that. So um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So all my all my duck hunting is usually, um, you know, with some coworkers or some buddies. And, and we're and yeah, we're hunting public. We're hunting lease land. Um, a lot of it's just it's flooded timber, um, flooded cypress. So, flooded so how is that flooded timber being that you came from Minnesota? Yeah. Like, like and you were out west too, so I mean you got to experience duck hunting over in Washington, right? It wasn't Oregon, it was Washington. Oregon, Oregon and Washington, okay. yes sir. Okay, both. So what's yeah. it like like because everybody's got that flooded timber like on their bucket list? It's on my bucket list. I haven't made it there yet. Yeah. 
it's uh it's amazing i mean it's it's really cool so where i'm located in southwest you know south central southwest alabama um we're about i said about 150 miles off the main flyway which is like the alluvial valley like mississippi delta that historical flyway we're sure about 150 miles off of it um so we don't necessarily get the big push of ducks um it's not necessarily like what they consider a ducky area now we have a lot of local ducks we do i mean it takes some serious weather but we'll get some big ducks down um but i mean it's a lot of wood ducks like a lot of wood ducks and it can be some phenomenal shoots um but it's not like we're in arkansas sure working working mallards i mean you know we see mallards you'll work them but it's not like you're that's what you're killing a green so um it's a little different wood duck shooting in the timber is about as humbling as it can i think it's harder than dove hunting like i really do it's um i mean they come in so hard so fast a lot of times people will throw out maybe a half dozen decoys and spinner maybe sometimes people won't even throw out decoys if they want in there they get in there depending on how big the hole is um and I mean, it, it can be super fun. And, and a lot of times it's, it's 20 minutes of just nonstop loading your gun, trying to sure. shoot, you know, missing everything, you know, it, it's pretty crazy. Um, but it, it's really fun. Some of the prettiest locations um, I've ever hung it, you know, we, uh, there's a river called the Tom Bigby river that runs through um, where I'm at. And we hung a um, buddy's lease land and it flooded over and it was like six inches of, of just splash water. And uh, I mean, we we're hunting our muck boots and they were bombing in on us, you know, and it was, it was pretty incredible. Um, you know, it's hard on the, it's harder on the dogs, right? You know, hunting that, that style, that timber and all that. Sure. But um, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'd recommend it if you get, get a chance coming down. <laughs> I still love my classic like prairie park hole region. Sure. Shooting puddle ducks like that. Um, but uh, mixing it up like this this year was, was pretty darn fun. That's for sure. It's, it's, I want to experience that. Like I want to experience the birds. Like I've, I've had miniature timber hunts, right. Where I found pockets of flooded backwaters off right, the marsh. That's right. all timber and you get a good acorn crop and, and the wood ducks just pile into there. And you're right. Like no decoys are needed yeah. like, at all. Cause you're just going to screw it up if you put them out there. Cause that's where they right. want to be. And they're going on that tree on that water edge, grabbing all these acorns. And when you hit it right and there's a flight down, it's just incredible with how fast they come in, whistle in. And yeah. Yeah. The one thing that's really difficult though, I mean, and it's like, you know, hunting wood ducks anywhere is they, they don't, they don't, I mean, you can't decoy them and you'll kill hole. I mean, you, sometimes you can get them coming in, you know, directly into kill hole, but a lot of times they'll, they'll come in, turn, they'll move and switch and all that kind of stuff. And so when they're coming into, an area like that and you just got four decoys out a spinner or whatever i mean they may suck into the spinner a little bit but you know a lot i mean you're never shooting them in the belly really i mean they're turning right. they're coming sideways you know they may hit the water and then you see them and then they pop right back up and um you know we had we had a shoot on the last day of uh of hunt season down here where i mean it was it was pretty incredible i think we shot like 13 14 all drake wood duck i mean it was pretty crazy but they were uh, they were coming in so tight, almost too tight. Where I still remember one hit the end of my barrel when it came down, like its wing hit the end of my shotgun barrel. <laughs> like, you know, you're, even if you're shooting a cylinder choke, like you, it's right. still too tight. You know, right? So you need uh, the old spreader choke. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're almost better off trying to hit them with a stick. Like it was, <laughs> um, but no, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I you know I definitely want to get back up into 
you know, Arkansas and try to, you know, work Mallards. You know, we, I worked a couple groups and it's, it's a ton of fun, but uh, to do it consistently would be, you know, I'm definitely no expert, you know, or, or even say I've really done it, but um, sure. it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I've heard. Now, one thing I have heard is that you like the calling by the time, like the guys calling down there are just way like, it seems like, it seems like it's got like, you need to be a good caller up here, but it seems like down there, you need to be an excellent caller. Yes. So, you know, we talked about dove hunt tradition. Well, duck hunt tradition down here, I mean, that's just a whole different ball game too. And I think it stretches, you know, I've hung it in, you know, Southern Missouri, you know, in, in Northern Arkansas, um, you know, and down here up on the Mississippi and Texas and Southern culture for duck hunting is, is serious. I mean, you know, they take their football serious and they take the duck hunting serious and um, they don't mess around. So, you know, the, I think overall there's more, I know the license sales in Minnesota is higher, but, you know, it seems like everybody and their brother out here is duck hunting. And I would say the dog work is better down here. There's, everybody and their brother has, has a duck dog. And, you know, when you have more, it just brings, you know, the standard higher. Um, sure. Everybody can blow a duck call and, um, you know, and everybody's got a mug motor with bow. So it, it gets real difficult trying, trying to hunt them. And, you know, you can hear on public, you know, just hail calls going off everywhere. And, um, but, you know, that's what makes it fun. I, I kind of like the competition aspect of it. And, you know, um, I like hunting public still and, and, and working for it and finding, um, you know, the whole like that. And, uh, I mean, that's why I, I, I like the little timber hunting experience I had down here is when you scout, I mean, you can find an X up there and find a pond, but it can be a big pond and they can be spread out and it can be mixed of ducks and geese, which is a lot of fun. It's still my favorite, but it's really cool when you get to go in and see a 10 by 20 yard hole. And it's like, that's where they're going to be. I can shoot all the way across it. Sure. I mean, that, that's, that is pretty special to be able to go in and really find, I mean, that's a true X, right? Right. So, right. Make scouting a little more interesting, um, a little bit more direct. Now other people may find that though too. And all right. of a sudden you're, you're racing to it, but um, you know, it, that's, that's the interesting part. So I'm assuming like from that explanation yeah. and from the amount of people, it's, it's gotta be hard to find those little gems that I'm public. Cause I'm sure there's someone out there always scouting. There's someone out. It's, it's hard to always go harder than the next guy, right? Like you can put in a lot of time, but we have full-time jobs, right? You get, mm -hmm. you get a construction worker that's laid off for a little bit. Like, like are you competing against things like that or competing right. against guys that work third shifts? So they're out there in the morning scouting and. Right. Or you're competing against state employees that, that spend their time on that, on that river system. <laughs> you know, that's when that gets really difficult. Um, but, you know, I, I still think there's, um, you know, there's still your fair weather hunger aspect where people still okay. you know, tail off and you know um for me their cold is 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 a nice summer's day so when it, sure. it got, you know we had a snowstorm down here and i was like let's let's go duck hunting and people are like no you're crazy i'm like no like it's time we go so um you know you still get your fair weather hungers and people that don't necessarily want to go out or you know deer season comes in they'll you know start deer hunting a little bit more and all that kind of stuff um so, you know, you can still make it work. Um, I don't think it's as, as different. I mean, you see a little bit more pressure. I don't think it's as different as, as what I would see up in all right. you know, Minnesota or, you know, or what you see on the river down there, you know, on sure. the pools and all that. Um, so it's not terrible. You know, you still got to put your work in. You're still going to get beat to a spot. 
you know, or, um, you know, you still may get to a spot and maybe a bust and the guy next to you is killing them. I mean, it's public hunting all around. Um, right. But I think if you put your time in and work, I mean, I think you'll be rewarded eventually, you know, just, sure. keep, just keep hammering on it. And I think you'll eventually, you know, get some good shoots and, and all that. That's, so. I mean, scouting's so key. I mean, it really is. I mean, even up here, I mean, yeah, you have, and may, as much up here, just different, right? Because down there, mm-hmm. you're looking for these tiny little holes for the X, so you're trying to eliminate water. And it's the same up by us, but if you're if you're hunting the Mississippi, I mean, you got multiple pools, like you mm-hmm. have a t- it just tons and tons of backwater. And if you're trying to eliminate water, there's a lot of water to eliminate. Right. Right. So I mean, yeah, you got to put the time. You get out of the boat and walk a little bit too. I mean, that's how right. you know we found a few you know holes down here. You know, too. I, I am fortunate enough where a lot of my coworkers, there's you know not as much public land down here as there is up there. I mean, you can go pop out on WMA. You know, with a little, you know, pond, you can still have a good hunt. Um, down here, there's really, I mean, there's some wildlife management areas, but not nearly as many. So what you hung are the, you know, the major river river systems um, that are managed by, you know, the, the feds. So you're trying to, you know, I mean, that's really your corridor. The rest of the land down here, a lot of it's leased land or just private owned family land. Sure. So I, I was fortunate enough, you know, I have, you know, good buddies that, um, you know, got different you know, locations that we can go and you know, you're still scouting, you still gotta find, you know, two thousand acre property, you still have to find where the X is. Right. But um, you know, at least you know that nobody's gonna beat you there if you can find it. So sure, sure, if that makes sense. So right. do you do blind draws and all that on the public land down by you? Like because I no, know like, no, this is okay. straight up just boat ramp and, and let it rip, you know. Got it. Like, Got to get there, get there earlier than the next guy and get out yeah, there. Yeah, it's, it's core engineers land, so it's not U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Um, okay. I get blind draw stuff in Missouri, um, but I haven't done any down here. They had that out in Oregon as well, um, which, you know, National Wildlife Refuge, they'll do blind draws. But this is core engineers, and they didn't have any. So you just, you know, you just, uh, yeah, get there early and, and scout and, and try to beat someone to it, you know. That may, that. That's how I'm used to it, right? I mean, right. you can get the launch as early as you want. I know, like for opening a duck, I know guys that go out Friday night and camp and camp on islands and yeah. sleep in their boats. I mean, and then I've seen videos of like different areas down south. I don't even know where where all these guys are stacked up at the boat ramp waiting for the wildlife official to open the gate and find out like, okay, you were here first. You can go. You can go and like right. shuffling them through. I'm like, well, I guess you still got to get there early. But does like sleeping in your truck count then? Like, like, do you have to be awake? Yeah. <laughs> or as long yeah. as you pull up there first, are you good to go? Like, yeah, yeah. Down here, yeah. There's no, there's no gate or anything, so you can, you can just get out there and you know sleep in. The, it's kind of like what you're used to, or you know, I've done sure. that on the Mississippi too. too you know, pool three or four, and you can go out. We'll go camp on an island, you know, and uh, and hunt after that. But um, yeah, it's you know, it's tough, but I don't think it's really any different than you know, two different, I mean, different terrain, different, right. Uh, different habitat, but, um, you know, still same principles, you know, find food, water, and, you know, corridor for fly patterns and you'll find, uh, you'll find ducks. So that's true. And then even if it looks ducky and has the food in the water, it doesn't mean they want to be there. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't right. count how many times I've got burned on that one. We're like, Oh, the ducks are going to be here and yeah. you scout it all season long, keeping an eye on it. And the ducks just never show. It's like, yeah. What, what's wrong with this area? Like, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So do you so do you, you do the to like the flight patterns for the ducks that type of stuff? What's the quail like? I mean, I know it's pen raised. I'm assuming you do you have your own pens? Do you raise all? No, no. So we we get them from a, a breeder over in, in Montgomery, Alabama. Um, okay. We do have a a big flight pen that will keep them. So if we have you know a lot of what we do is corporate groups, um, and so we have maybe you know 30 guys come at a time, and so we'll split up hunts and all that kind of stuff. So if we're ordering. 3,000 quail or something. We have a big fly pen we can release them into during the week and then catch them and place sure. them as we, as we go. Um, if they stay in those crates, you know, they don't, they don't either survive or they, or they don't fly, fly well after. Um, so our quail hunts are, um, are, are pretty awesome. I think our boss believes in, in having a lot of, a lot of extras out. Um, and so we'll, we'll plant quite a bit, you know, we may charge a little bit more, but sure. um, overall, I mean, we're shooting more birds than, you know, a lot of people, rather than going to your scanner preserver, you pay per bird and maybe you get six quail out in the field, you know, um, you, we may have a hundred out, you know, so, um, wow. it's, yeah, we, yeah, we plant quite a, quite a few quail. Um, but that way too, you know, we work on habitat management. I mean, we manage like we do for wild quail. So, you know, we keep them in there, we keep them, you know, there's only so much you can do about avian predators and about coyotes and bobcats and right. all that, but, you know, we trap and, and predator hunt, but, um, you know, they're still going to get a few and, you know, um, but, you know, we, we do quail management. So, you know, we have our, you know, native grasses, you know, we got our, you know, our big pines and all that kind of stuff. So they stay pretty good and, um, they hold in there pretty good. So we've had several hunts where we can bring five, six guys, still shoot 70 birds in an afternoon that have not been hunting for two weeks. So I guess you can consider pre-release, you know, some people sure the term pre-release. Um, you know, we can get out there and hunt pre-release birds and, you know, they jump, some of them get cubbied up and jump like wild birds. I mean, they'll jump 200 yards away. They hear, you know, the trailer coming and they'll, they'll be gone. So, um, yeah, towards the end of the season, they get pretty smart. That's for sure. Um, that's cool. Cause then it's almost more like you're hunting wild birds. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you got to get, you know, kind of strategic on how you're going to, you right. know, if I've seen this covey, if I hunt that field, you know, four days in a row and I've seen that covey bust out the back end, maybe I'm going to sneak in around or, um, you know, try to work a different wind direction or place a blocker up or, or something and, and try to figure them out. Um, but yeah, so our quail hunts too, you know, we do, you know, very Southern style um, where we got pointing dogs and then we have flushing dogs. So we work okay. in Canyon. That's my favorite part. I love the dog work, obviously. So right. um, I, I love to quail hunt and, um, you know, we run labs as, as flushing dogs. And um, so they walk a heel next to us. And then we got, you know, up to, you know, we usually run two to three pointers at a time um, in front of us. And we have a mix between um, seggers and, and uh, German shorthairs. Okay. Um, we run them out front. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, we cover some ground. It's pretty fun. I mean, it's it's a lot of fun to get after them. And I love pointing dog work. I mean, um, you know, we our dogs are pretty experienced. They may see six, 7,000 birds a season. So. That's a lot. And birds yeah. teach dogs. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Birds teach dogs. 
Right. Right. And I mean, that's pretty much it is, you know, we, we, we will break them and then we, uh, you know, call or come and, and, and <laughs> that's really it. And then they, you know, they learn from the older dogs like a quarter and, um, we just throw them out there and hold point And I mean, they figure it out. They just run into so many birds, you know, they may bump a few, but right. we're not worried about it. We got so many and, um, usually, you know, the hunters just, just love seeing the dogs, you know, out there running. So it's just not a big deal. So, you know, they may bump a few of the young dogs will, but, you know, shoot, we had a young dog. She was two years old this year, first real hunt season this year. And I took her a lot. And, um, I mean, I think two weeks in, she had hung her for two weeks straight. And all of a sudden it was like, boom, clicking. And she was pointing birds at, you know, 30 yards away. I mean, it was, you know, in, in staunch too. Um, sure. You know, and, you know, I'm sure the pointing dog guys out there are going to tell me, you know, complain a little bit, I guess, but, um, you know, they're not, they, they hold a point, but, you know, we hunt with flushing dogs too. So they get a little loosey goosey at the end and they'll, you know, when you got a flushing dog running by them, we don't require them to be, you know, scaggy a wing shot fall and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, they're hunting dogs first and foremost. So if they're holding point, we can get in there and flush a bird and get a good flush. And that's what we care about. So, right. Uh, and for the, for the style of the hunt that you're doing, I mean, it, it's, it's different. I mean, if they hold a point and allow you to get your your clients into position for their shots, and then you can release your flushing dog. And once that flushing dog gets there, if they break at that point, like they've already done their job. Now you kind of have two flushing jobs, right? I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah. Yeah. And plus two, I mean, you know, is that, is that perfect? Is, that's I mean, is that perfect pointer work? No, no, but, but it was perfectly steady up until that flushing dog got there and everybody was there. I mean, for that style, that is perfect. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, like, yeah. And so, and you know, for us, I mean, even, you know, dare I say, like if, if we had them at wing shot fall, it'd probably be a detriment. I mean, just because of, you know, we bust a covey of 15 and they drop six. I mean, it would just take, I mean, I understand the argument why to do it. And I, and I totally get it. But in our situation, I think, um, I think it would, it would just take too long to, you know, and then send the dog recall for the retrieve and then, you know, go pick up. I mean, um, you know, we're, you know, the hunters want to shoot, you know, first and foremost. And um, if they see a dog just go on point, I mean, that's, that's what they like. They don't really care if, about, you know, releasing the dog after. So yeah, it works for us. And, um, you know, yeah. So they stay pretty, pretty tight that way. You know, they don't seem to, you know, break in on birds or anything like that. So that's all we care about. I mean, I see the safety argument for having a um, study the shot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get all that, but if you're using flushing dogs as well, I kind of feel like that whole safety argument of making sure the dog doesn't get by the birds gone because right. you're running a flushing dog. So you have to really have all those safety dog flushing, like don't shoot low flying birds, this, that, right. and other thing. Like you have to follow all of those rules. So I'm sure I, I know true pointers will be like, ah, oh, that's not a field. That's not a finished right. dog, but at, at the same time, like it, it is finished for your style, but you know what I mean? Like, right. Well, and too, like, you know, for the flushing dog work, um, you know, so like I, I run my two dogs as flushing dogs for me. And, um, you know, I don't, I require, I don't know if I say I require, but I trained for steady the flushing shot with them because of, of the testing aspect, you know, sure. I want to go run in an upland test or an HRC upland or, you know, hopefully one day if I get to run in the grand, you know, HRC grand, you know, I can, you know, um, 
be able to have them schedule flood. Um, do I require it every time? No, because, you know, there's times when, and I'm sure people are going to, you know, yell at me for that, but, you know, there, there are times when I don't think it is advantageous. There are times when it definitely is, but uh, when we're getting you some thick cover in the cattails and, you know, um, I mean, we do pheasant hunts, we release some pheasants too, and we hunt pheasants in some of our wetland areas. And, you know, if we're, if we're in the cattails and I tell my dog to sit, you know, she's, I mean, she comes up to my knee, for example, and she's short, she's not going to be able to see or mark where that bird falls. I would rather have her push through, drive, flush the bird, um, and, and, and go retrieve it that way. Um, you know, they, don't get me wrong, they still know what whistle sit means. So right. if they get into an area, I can boom, tweet, sit, and, and have them sit if they're chasing. Um, and, you know, there are times, too, where we hunt some, you know, some of our quail foods are pretty short grass. We cut lanes and all that. Um, and uh, if it comes out, you know, where the bird's low, I can tweet and have her sit. And then shoot them guys and have them shoot sure. and release my dog. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, is it is it perfect? No, but it, it's what we need it to be. Um, so yeah. I think that argue like this is a whole another rabbit hole when we talk about like what's started, what's a finished mm-hmm. dog, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Completely. But I, I yes. feel like I mean, depending on where you hunt in the country, it could sometimes change what the idea of a finished dog is going to be, or depending on your situations and other things. I know there's like what we have is standards, but that doesn't necessarily, now I'm not saying like we shouldn't follow the standards, but I'm saying like it should all, there should also be exceptions too, is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. And I, I know in the lab world, and I know it is in the pointer world as well, but I can, I think I can touch on the lab world a little bit better that, you know, the whole schedule flush argument on the uplink work is, is like a very hot topic and I've had people argue with me and I'm just like, I, whatever you choose is fine. I mean, you're the one hunting your dog. Like I right. do what you want to do. I mean, that's all, all my argument, but for me, you know, I require it because of testing. I like the control even when we're wild bird hunting because you can stop them before they cross the road or you can, sure. you know, do all I, in certain situations they do mark far better if you're hunting shorter cover. But I think, you know, if they're, you know, if they're in the cattails where most Midwesterners pheasant hunt with the lab, I, I venture to say a dog that flushes through and can push through and, 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 you know, mark a bird by, you know, chasing. I mean, I think that'd be a little bit more advantageous in general. Right. Um, again, and I, we're I speaking general. They're saying that, but um, yeah, in general, you know, right. Um, right. But it is, I will say, it is pretty, though, when you get a dog in, you know, boom, sits right when the bird flushes and mm-hmm. all their aiming. It's pretty, that's for sure. It is, like, that is, agreed. I mean, it, the the pretty part is, like, the training that went into it, to me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of repetition. That's a lot of consistency. That's a smart dog as well to be able to handle that type of excitement and reel it back and know, like, this bird flushed, I have to sit. Right. I would, I loved, like, my lab wasn't that. Like, he was hard charging, and I never even tried to train for that, to be honest. But part of what my excitement was, was, like, watching him get birdie and just being on that bird and just, like, like right. all of that. Like, and I know some people might say, oh, that's dangerous. I get it. Like, I get that. But, like, watching him react to that bird, getting super birdie, getting it, getting it, like, all of that to me was like, like all of that kind of like, inco- like was part of that excitement and watching him like now exactly. 
yeah sitting on the flush i mean that's awesome like there's like that's great that's a high level of training i see the safety aspect especially around new shooters kids just introduced into like or like adults just being introduced into shooting it's really easy to shoot a little flying bird i get that like i get the safety aspect for but for me solo i just loved watching him get under mm -hmm. a pine tree and that bird busts out and he's right there like where to go like right i yeah no i completely agree i mean some of my i would say my dog's best especially my male dog uh henry is some of his best pheasant retrieves have I did not require him to be steady at that time. And, you know, I either dropped a leg on a pheasant, you know, like we've all done and it sails, you know, a couple hundred yards and watch him plow through. I remember in a snowstorm, like he was running 300 yards, went and picked up a bird. And I'm like, if I probably make him sit right there, will he have picked that bird up? Probably not. I mean, you couldn't see past 30 yards because of the snowstorm. Right. So, um, you know, situations like that, um, you know, I think it's very, and, you know, not to get too technical or down the rabbit hole, but I think as far as, you know, the control aspect goes. So when we're, when we're hunting the way we hunt and our flushing dog is at heel next to us, I mean, we require, I, I require heel means, you know, their ear, their right ear is on my left knee, right? Like they're not, sure. they're not ahead. They're not behind. They're not switching sides or off to the side or anything like that. Um, and so I require that control when um, my dogs too have learned, they can see when a dog goes on point and you'll see their ears perk up and they'll kind of jump forward a little <laughs> bit, almost like they're about to go like run a blind or something like that. It's pretty, it's pretty funny how they cue in on that. But um, I require them, um, as soon as they lock in and, and see that point dog, I immediately sit. And that way I can, I know where they're at. Um, they're under control. I can look around cause I got four other guys I'm trying to guide some. Right. Know, telling guys to step up in the line, get even, watch your barrels, watch your safety. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts going up on line. Um, so being able to have control and then I send my dog in like a retrieve. So they know exactly, like I said, they cue in on where the point is. Well, they know to run to the, you know, the, up the nose of the dog and in sure. the bush in front. Right. So, I mean, and that took time and, you know, repetition to learn. Um, but I cue them in. So, you know, it's Henry and then boom, they, you know, like a mark and he'll run in and, and, and push in behind um, the dog and, and, and flush the bird. Um, but I think having that control on the side and having a controlled flush, maybe I don't require him to be steady. I still think that is beneficial because he, it's not like he's just out and wild, but even, you know, when they're quartering, I mean, they, they have to go find and produce game. But um, I think just being under control is uh is, is just more important even if he's like you say like your dog's out there in front of you i mean he's no good if he's 200 yards away from you to flush that grouse right so right. he's under control oh, sure. within gun range right and you can still maneuver him how you want um so i think that that's very important um and kind of a, a little miss aspect that you know people don't necessarily recognize is you know how how is your dog going to flush that bird so right and I was actually talking to, um, he was on the air, James. Oh, good Lord. Hart. Now I can't remember his last name. Sorry, buddy. Um, <laughs> he runs pointers and flushers out West and mm -hmm. his flushers sit on a point. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. Cause that's yeah. a whole, that's a different level of training as well. Yeah. He says a lot of it actually comes naturally, but it's training as well. Where like when they're, cause the flushers will be running within flushing range. And if they see a pointing dog go on point in the distance, they'll sit. Right. Right. Like, that's kind of cool. That's another way of doing it. I'm like, that's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. 
I've, I've seen almost- guys too, you know, out actually it was out West. Um, it was a guy out there where he walks his dog at heel as well. Um, but he doesn't send them into flush. So and he, spe- he specializes kind of in sharp tail. So it's a lot short, shorter cover, you know, and dog can mark mm-hmm. far better in a, in a field like that. But um, as soon as that dog goes on point, sit, and then the hungers move up. And I've done that too in certain situations where, you know, it works. Um, and that way, you know, the dog's behind you, you know, it, it has to be under great control. I mean, you have to know the dog's going to sit, not break, and right. get in the mess. But, you know, I'll give my dog a hard sit, move forward. We'll fl- we may go in and flush the bird, and that dog can mark far better from behind you, being able to see where the bird. So, um, you know that that can be really useful as well. You know, I just think being able to control your dog, you know, is right. is, is the important aspect. Agreed. You can't have a dog that's just running around wild, chasing birds at two hundred yards, like especially a flushing dog. We're talking right now. You can't have them chasing birds at two three hundred yards. You're never going to get a shot. Right. You're going to be that guy out in the field screaming. Whatever, zippy, come back here, zippy here. Dog yeah. starts yelping because they're getting hard on the collar. The dog doesn't know why you're getting hard on the collar because he doesn't have recall. Let's be honest here. If right. the dog had recall, it wouldn't be out of range to begin with. Right. Right. No, and, and honestly, that honestly ties all the way back into what you talk about your summer conditioning. It's like get your dog off the couch and, and work it. You know, you want right. You know, you want. Uh, you know, you're. You, you're not going to jump off the couch and go run a marathon and, and do well. It's like you need to, you know, your dog's not going to do that either. You need to, I'm not saying you need to work your dog every day and do a, you know, a bunch of retrieves every day or run blinds every day, but like, you know, a couple of times a week, get your dog out and do a little refresher and then, and then exercise it. And um, I think, uh, I think people will be a lot happier, you know. Um, I see a lot of guys on opening day get really, really mad at their dog, you know, for <laughs> stuff that could have been fixed, you know, right. for sure. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, obedience is never done. Like mm-hmm. obedience always can be polished. Yeah. They right. don't sit, but you can always continue to polish that sit. They know they know they have recall that can always continue to be polished. Whoa, heal place. All of that. I mean, can always be polished. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of, that's what I love about dog training too, is it's a revolving kind of revolving door, revolving season in the sense of, you know, and I, I try to keep my dogs like a pretty high standard when we hunt, but I mean, let's be realistic. I think we all, you know, get a little sloppier, you know, I think all the dogs get a little sloppier coming out of a hunting season, um, you know, or just even the fact, so like say I hunt my, you know, we have a month full of quail hunts. Um, well, all of those marks, none of those marks are going to really be farther than 40 yards very short 60 80 yard blinds so we got to go back we got to stretch them back out we got to you know start doing bigger marks bigger water marks running water blinds um so it's always kind of revolving and changing and um you just you know you work on one thing something else is going to kind of fall off so you always are you know getting um you know getting back in your training and, and just working on different stuff so you know i have a five well, yeah she just turned five and i got a dog turning six and we're, I mean, we still train, granted, it's part of my job, but, you know, we, we right. work, you know, I'd say they get trained about five, six days a week, you know, and then they get hung almost every day for, you know, five months a year. But, um, you know, they, you know, we're still learning, we're still working on stuff. And like I said, you know, we'll go from a hunt test season to the hunt season and they're pretty tight and then they'll get loose back up and then their line bangers and a holding blind or, or, or bag, you know, back in the hunt test season and, um, 
So, I mean, that's just training and it is what it is, but you know, that's, that's why I like it. You know, it's fun. I mean, it's always fun. Like, and every dog's got its own personality. They learn different. I mean, it's never the same, which is what makes it fun. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that is in, you know, I've, I've been fortunate. I'm not experienced dog trainer by any means. You know, I work for a kennel and I, I train dogs, but it's, you know, compared to the guys I work for, they've been doing it for 20 years. I mean, they can read a dog before it even makes the mistake. I mean, they'll be like, oh, you're going to have to correct it here. You know, and, um, sure. I'm, yeah, by far a novice. And it's like, the more I start, you know, put my hands on more dogs, the more I realize how little I know, you know, it's, you think you got to <laughs> figure out one dog and then all of a sudden you get to five and you're like, uh, wow, you know, and right. different breeds, different dogs, different temperaments. Um, it's a whole different ball game um and different, different training styles come from you know so we get them at six months old right so who knows how their upbringing was you know right. if they were even introduced to a bird i've had dogs that haven't been on a leash at all so we spent a couple of days just putting a leash on them you know right um, so just there's a bunch of different stuff but that's what's fun you know you get to mess around you get some you know some really fun dogs that really like to go and um it's a lot of fun that's awesome. That, that's, that's awesome. I mean, you're out there doing what you want to do. Like you're out, like, like you found a career path that works for you and it provides for your lifestyle. You get like, you're, you're training dogs. You're like, you're haunting. Like, like that's almost like, like the American dream, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, you know, it's great. And I don't, I try not to take it for granted. It is. I'm not going to grind. Like, it's a grind. Yeah. I get, you know, like I talked about, I remember on the last podcast, like, it's incredibly tiring, you know, you get right. six months of hunting and everyone gets snappy at each other at the end of the season and you're just tired and all that. Um, uh, you know, some days you just have some bad day, you know, all your dogs are just not doing what you want to do, but you know, you just right. put them up and get them back out the next day. And, um, you know, it helps me, you know, try to, you know, make my, I got to make myself, you know, calm down and just relax. Cause it's like, just, you know, take a step back. And I mean, I, I still fail at it all the time. I get mad all the time, but it's, you know, you got to, try to take a step back and, and look at it and say, you know, it's just a dog and, and work on it that way. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a grind and, you know, the stress too behind working with dogs is, you know, they, you know, these are other people's, you know, I think of how I love my dogs. Right. But mm -hmm. these are other people's babies, right? Like they, right. they love them and they're trusting them with you. And um, I mean, you know, they can get out in front of you and step on a stick and, Right. I mean, what, you, what, you, what can you do? You know, um, so the stress of kind of working with live animals is, you know, is uh, isn't necessarily all it's cracked up to be, but it, it's 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 great, you know. Um, but as you know, some some downfalls. It's not all it. perfect, right? I mean, right? Yeah, it's not all perfect. I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you're always worried. You know, a dog can just get sick for some reason. You know, they just have something ate. You know, something going on, or um, you know, they. You know, like I said, they, they hurt themselves getting, you know, stepping on some some sticks or right. or um, something like that. And they can just, you know, you got to take me to the bag. You just worry about them. You know, you just worry about them all right. the time. You know, someone else's someone else's baby. So you want to make sure you take good care of them. And that's kind of what you hope for, right? When you drop your take, if you drop your dog off at a kennel, you want to hope that they they treat them as good, if not better than their own dogs. Right. Yeah. And um you know, we get, you know, a lot of people from a, a very diverse, you know, demographic of, of, of dog owners. So, you know, we, we try to 
really, you know, cater to everybody. Um, you know, some people are very old school mentality. Their dog lives outside and it's a farm sure. dog. And, you know, that's that. We get some that are, you know, dogs sleeping in the bed and, um, <laughs> and it's a $3,000 dog. So it's like, you know, we, right. You know, but we treat them all the same, you know, they got an issue taking to the vet, you know, look at them and, you know, you know, we weigh them and, you know, work on all that kind of stuff, um, you know, weekly. So, um, you know, just trying to take good care of them and, sure. you know, they do crazy things. I mean, they'll run into a fence, you know, right. <laughs> right. You, know, you just never know. It's, it's still hunting. There's still variables. It's training. I mean, nothing's ever guaranteed in any of it. So. Right. Makes, yeah. It makes things a little difficult and I can see where that would add, make much more added stress. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when it's, when it's great, it's, it's great. You know, like, like I always tell people and my, my boss who I work for now, uh, he told me when I got my first dog, um, he said, you know, dogs in your first hunting season, they'll, you know, they'll make you look like a hero, make you, you know, do things that will make you so proud. And then 20 minutes later, they'll make you want to pull your hair out. And I don't <laughs> think there's something that I've really found to be truer when it comes to, to, to sure. hunting dogs, um, especially young ones. So. Cause everything will click, everything will click and everything will be like perfect. And you'll be like, We've been working so hard. And then mm-hmm. the next day you'll run the same thing. And it's like, they forgot everything. It's like, what right. happened? Like, how, how did we just go from perfect? Like not even like, I don't even want to say the word perfect, but how did we go from like this to, I feel like we haven't even started training for it today. Yeah. And you know, I got a five and you know, six year old dog and um, you know, they hung a ton. They picked up lots of birds and they train all the time. Um, and uh, you know, I'm not going to say they're phenomenal. I don't, I don't like to brag on my dogs too much because um, they'll make a liar of you quick. But oh, yeah. um, they, uh, I, I would say they're pretty solid, and uh, they do stuff every now and then. I mean, they're they're consistent. I mean, they're, they're in their prime, right? So they're pretty consistent. But every now and then, I'll look over. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> like what, what just happened? Like we've done this a thousand times, and they're like, mm, not today. You know, and. You know, but they're dogs. They're not robots. So, right. That is very true. Well, I'm going to give the last couple minutes, like always, to you. Anybody you want to thank, you want to shout out the kennel you work for, any of that yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. Black Belt Retrievers um, out of Demopolis, Alabama. Uh, we're here in South Central Alabama. Um, you know, um, Brandon Smith, Mark Bexler are the owners. So, you know, give them a shout. Um, if you're down here in the South, uh, real good guys. Like I said, like 20 years of experience. Um, I mean, they've each had 20 years of 40 years between them. Um, they've ran dogs to highest levels in the grand and all that kind of stuff and produced very solid gun dogs and all that. So get a hold of them. And um, yeah, I mean, good guys. So I would uh, get a hold of those guys if you want to dog train here down in Alabama. Awesome. I'll I'll get the link from you and I'll drop it in the description for anyone that is interested. That way they can find it real easily. For sure. Yeah. Then I'll drop your information on Instagram or wherever else. Okay. Um, but for everyone that's out there, why don't you tell them your Instagram account again? Just in case. They yeah, it's uh, Anthony one. Outdoors. I think it's Anthony underscore outdoors. Um, not, honestly, not too sure. I got to look real quick. Um, but uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Um, that's where I'm at mainly. I do a lot of uh, posts all really about my guiding and, and dog training and um, all that. So uh, you get to see some some cool stuff, some cool dog work. 
Um, I try to post real stuff, you know, not right. all the, uh, you know, <laughs> dogs, all the big dogs running big marks and all that. I try to post, you know, dogs get messing up and doing different stuff. So yeah, it's Anthony underscore outdoors underscore. And you'll find me. Perfect. Uh, and I'll toss that link in the description as well for everyone. So you can easily find it and give Anthony a follow. Sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate being on here, Brad. I really do. I mean, it was great talking to you again, getting a little follow-up and list like learning how the South is different than what the Midwest and the West Coast was, these traditions and the different the different training techniques that you're kind of dealing with for like in the hot summer months. And even like compared to here, it's just hot year round down there. So it's it was right. nice to like hear like how some of the stuff is the same, but a lot, but like you have just slightly different techniques to really deal with the heat. So right, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on to all the listeners. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. And until next time, keep chasing that experience. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures. Your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina. The beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. And Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today.